Welcome to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast, where we explore the conscious use of technology. Listen in to hear thought leaders and other guests discuss the human relationship with technology and learning to thrive in the digital era. Hosted by the author of the international best-selling digital self-mastery series and being at work, Dr. Heidi Forbes Usta. Welcome back to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast. I'm so excited to introduce to you Sharon Lynn Wyeth, who is the creator of Namology. This is the coolest science of really understanding what's behind a name. Welcome, Sharon. So nice to be here with you, Heidi. Thank you for inviting me. So tell us, what is behind a name? What is Namology? Namology is the study of the placement of the letters in a name. So I've matched the vibration of the letters with the action that it goes with. So depending on where a letter is or the letter combinations, I can tell you what the belief or the action is that corresponds with it in the personality. That is so cool. So how would you apply this type of science or, or is it even a science? Well, it is according to the trademark, um, our government trademark office, because I tried to trademark just nameology. And they told me I couldn't trademark a common word, N-A-M-E. So I spell it in the Latin spelling, N-E-I-M-ology. And then they said, this is a science. You have to trademark it as nameology science or we won't approve it. So they're the ones that determined it was a science. Fabulous. How would you apply this type of work? What type of clients do you work with? And how do you put it into practice beyond just sort of party tricks? <laughs> Which, of course, would well, be really fun. It's used the same way that the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram and other personality types are used. For HR departments, they give me a job description and a list of names. And I say, who has it in their names that they could do that job and which ones would get along better with the team that they already have there? So we eliminate a lot of people that they don't have to interview. And then I rank the others and say, this is what you need to find out or this is what it looks like they're missing. And so we save companies a lot of money that way. I work with lawyers when they're getting ready to present cases in front of judges. What does the client need to hear so that they know that you're working on their behalf and so that they will pay you even if you lose the case? And what does the judge need to hear so that you're pinging the judge with their own belief system so the judge is more likely to rule on your behalf? Oh, and I'm picking juries also. That's really fun. And then I work with a lot of individuals on how do you get along better with, you know, with your family members and with their business people and with friends? You know, if there's a rough spot, how do you figure that out? It just makes relationships so much easier and better because you really have an understanding. And then the other thing I do is I help people create names for businesses, for products, and when an individual wants to have a new name. Very cool. I have a client for you. I just had a conversation with someone last night and she's been married for... 20 some odd years and is now getting divorced. And she's like, I never like my married name, but now I need to pick a new one. And I have no idea where to start. So well, I'd be a good one for you with different people. I have them. I literally have them write down. What are 10 things that you want in the people qualities and characteristics that you would like in the people you're going to pull to you? Okay. Mm. And then we go from there because the last name is what you draw to you, where the first and the middle name is what you have and what you're learning. So if you want to be in your environment, what do you want? Then you do that through creating of your last name. Okay. And I use technology to help me with that. Yes. So now we're moving from my two favorite topics, of course, behavior science and technology. So let's, let's move into the technology because clearly there's a lot of algorithms and things behind that can help you process when people give you big lists of names. 
So what kind of technology do you use for that? Well, I use very simple technology. One is a name app that I designed called Name Meanings, and it just does the first name. So for 99 cents, you can go online and get your first name done. Okay. Or if you just want to test it, I only have the first vowel of the first name. So there's only six responses that people can get, but it shows you how much is just in that one letter. Mm. Okay. And then I go online and I have copied and pasted from so many different websites, a whole algorithm of all the names that would start with a particular letter and then have the next letter. And so I can keep matching and then which ones can match that will go into commonly used last names or last names that are already in the database of our government. So it's not like you're creating something from scratch and nobody's ever heard of it, but it would fit you in with a group and how popular that name is. Mm. Some people want a unique name and other people want a fairly common one that everybody can pronounce. And so I know what the letters mean in every place, but I need to know, okay, if this one needs this letter in this place and this letter in that place, what names have that that also have these letters in it? Nice. So you've designed the app behind it that will help process this. Correct. And then I did all the work for it. And then the actual programming, I outsourced. Mm -hmm. Very wise. Unless you're a technologist yourself. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) No, I, I could have probably figured it out because I have a math major and I can figure out things like that. But I thought, you know what? We all need to be doing what we're really good at and hiring people that are really good at something that we're not good at. Absolutely. That's what keeps the world going round, right? (laughs) Absolutely. There's always someone for those things that you hate to do. There's always someone that can not only do it, that enjoys doing it, but maybe does it better because they love to do it. So why not find someone if you can? Definitely delegating is a big thing that I advocate in my work. So I'm curious because I have one of those funky names that is Anglo-Saxon, but the, the end because I married a Swedish person and I'm and I'm still married to him, but I kept my maiden name and attached the Swedish name. So I have a a letter in my name that does not exist in the English alphabet. How do you break a, things like that down? I have a whole chapter in my book on that. Mm. It's called the what if chapter. What if I put an asterisk? What if I put two dots over my name? Like over the O, like in your name? You know, what if I went by a number for a while instead of a name? Because when I was in Germany, some people asked me that. No, I had branded a number here from the Nazi time period. And what happens then? And mm. so I have a whole chapter that goes through and says what those mean and, and how you interpret those. So in your name, it's very interesting because the first part of your last name says how you were reared. Okay, so your parents really loved you. You may not have always agreed with them, but they tried to be as fair as possible, as honest as possible. They literally were working their hardest to make sure that you knew you were loved and that they were doing it right. Okay, and having said that, none of us ever agree with everything our parents do or say or whatever. But your parents, when I'm looking at that part of your last name, loved you dearly and did the very best they knew how to do. They consciously did it, Mm -hmm. you know, and they were basically very generous people and very good people. And they wanted you to keep learning. That was something that they really would have pushed. You know, you got to keep learning. You don't get to stop just because you get out of school. Okay. And so then when you attached your married last name to it, you literally said, I am now going to look at things from a different point of view. Instead of being a national point of view, I've got to expand my vision to a worldly point of view. And now I need to take on more of that generosity role, even though it's innate to you. 
and it's natural to you. It's like you needed to expand and include more people in your generosity and who you were affecting and how you were helping. So that last name brought a huge expansion to you and also an elevation. You needed to up your game. Very cool. Well, my husband will be happy to hear that. He was just saying to me, he's like, you're always just welcoming everybody in. I'm like, all these people streaming through the house. And I'm like, I can't help it. I just, Blame you know, I love the name. spontaneous guests that we met years ago while we were traveling in Thailand or whatever. Like, those are my favorite kind of visitors. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can blame it on his last name that he so generously gave to you, right? That <laughs> explains everything. <laughs> That's quite funny. So what's your favorite kind of client to work with where you see the biggest shift? one who's in the midst of a lot of changes in their life and they need direction mm. because the name indicates what years and what ages were focused on what. And the name indicates what we're here to share with everybody else and what we're here to learn from other people. So when you can say, oh, look, at this age, we did this. And at this age, you did this. And then at this age, and oh, look, you're in a year of change and you're not going to have it figured out, you know, until the end of this year or until your next birthday. And so trying to make decisions that keep changing is normal. And then the person has to say, oh, I'm not all screwed up. <laughs> this is what I had planned, you know, well, or you look at the name and you say, oh, one of the things you came to learn how to do is deal with clutter, you know, and this is why you have clutter. And then they stop judging themselves and then they don't need as much clutter because they understand its purpose. So when you're looking at the name and you say, oh, look. You know, your name indicates you do it this way and you explain the why and the behavior science behind it and what the goal is and what it was supposed to mean to help them. Then they can let go of a lot of self-judgment. And I find from the people that have read the book that then want to learn it further and are working in my seminars, they all say, by the time we know this, we've stopped judging everybody because we can see in everybody's name that, hey, they got this great stuff to share. And like Einstein said, that everybody's a genius. You can see it in the name. This is where their genius lies. And then you see everybody struggling with something. Yeah. You know, and so you level the playing field. Nobody's on a pedestal and nobody's in the trash can. You know, and so it's really nice because judgment goes out the door and it encourages compassion and empathy because you get the person at a really deep level very quickly. That sounds so amazing. And you get all that from a name. Mm -hmm. So so what brought you into this space of namology and, and sort of understanding what's behind a name? Is this something that was sort of your special gift from youth? Or did you sort of stumble into this in a funny way? Well, in my seventh year of teaching, when I started making the seating chart for my 150 students in five classes of 30 each, you know, you just randomly put down the name someplace because you want to make sure you have a seating chart to let the kids know you're going to be the one in charge and you definitely don't want them sitting how they would seat themselves. So I was doing that. And when I started in my fourth classroom, all of a sudden I realized, hey, I'm doing the same thing with my head that I normally do when I know the kids. Like I don't want Joshua and Julie next to each other because together they're going to be clowns, but separated, they're fine. And Stephanie's going to be stubborn and never want her seat changed. And Derek's going to need extra help. So put them up close. And I mean, I was thinking this and then I thought, wait a minute, what am I doing? I do this when I know the kids and all I have is names. So curiosity got the best. And I went back and I said, I'm going to write down my impression of everybody based on their name. And I'm going to put it away for three months until winter break, because I want to get to know the kids for who they are. And when I read it at winter break, I was amazed at its accuracy. 
So I said, okay, my mathematical trained brain, because I have a bachelor's in math and then I earned a master's degree. I said, I am so good at patterns. My brain has picked up some kind of a pattern. How do I make what's unconscious conscious? And that took me 15 years. And then I went and tested it in 72 countries and 49 of our states for three years. I took time off from work and went and did that when I thought I had it all down. And I thought, certainly, if I've got an error or I've really messed up, then somebody's going to correct me. And they didn't. And when I was giving talks in all these different places, when somebody asked me a question that didn't fit into something nice patterned like that I could easily explain, I would literally stop what I was saying and say, wait a minute, I got to write that one down. And later on, that became my what if chapter. Well, what if this happens? Or what if that happens? <laughs> the chapter is literally called what if. I love <laughs> and it that. it answers all those miscellaneous questions. I love that. I used to have those sort of a what if philosophy or rather not having what ifs. I was sort of determined through up until I was about 30 to never have a what if. So it was like if there was something that I was curious about and wanted to pursue, even to like this little degree of like, well, what if I tried that? I would just do it. And because I was determined to not get to and like now, I mean, I'm 50, that's nothing, but like, you know, to 80 and look back and go, what if I'd done that? Or what if I'd done <laughs> So I well, think, it, you know, what if can have so many different connotations of the sort of what if and sort of questioning all of the exceptions to the rule. But what I try to teach in my work is that the anomaly is the norm. And really, there's more what ifs than there are standards. Even when there's patterns, there's things that are breaking the patterns. Isn't that true? Yes, there are. And and that's known as the chaos theory <laughs> in math. <laughs> but we won't get really technical. And when you're learning nameology science, there is no math involved other than addition when you're figuring out what year you're focusing on what. And other than that, there is no math. It's just letters <laughs> and what that letter means. I don't want to scare anybody thinking, oh, man, I can't do that because there's too much math involved. <laughs> there's none. Yeah. You know, unless you're looking at timing. Well, and yet just the technology of how you put together a name. So when you're suggesting company names, like what would that process be like when you, somebody goes through that with you to sort it's of uncover their perfect? It's not long on their end. It's very long on my end. <laughs> There's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes. It starts with me saying, what 10 qualities do you want known about your business the minute they look at your name? Their people are going to pick it up subconsciously because I think subconsciously we all react to different names. Okay. So we all have it in us. I just made it conscious. Okay. So I'm looking at what do you want your name to say? What are the 10 best qualities? Then you have to give me a nice description of your company. Okay. And I want the description in a hundred words or less. I want it really thought out. Here's what my company's about. Here's what I want people to know about me. And then what kind of clients? What are 10 qualities that you want in your customers or your clients? And then I take all of that information and it takes me hours. <laughs> I ask the client to give me in 100 words or less what their company is about. Then I say, what's 10 adjectives that you want people to know about your company right away? Like, Mine would be integrity, honesty, hard work. I mean, I would start my list, something like that. But anyway, and then 10 things about your clients that you want or your customers. What kind of clients or customers do you want? I want 10 adjectives for that. Then I take the 20 adjectives you've given me. I take the purpose of your company and I start working. 
and it can take me a long time. (laughs) And I come up with possible names that meet all of those conditions. I can imagine that's an arduous process, but it must be so much more powerful when you come up with a name in the end. I just came back from a, a meeting with some fellow people that do book strategy for clients. And a lot of doctoral students come up to me and say, how did you do it? You, you know, you published your dissertation and then you did a book and like, you know, you did it all in a short period of time. I think one of the things that's, it seems like a silly thing, which to you is certainly not silly, but people get stuck on, I have all this great content, but I would have no idea what to call the book. Just the book title in itself makes them sit on a manuscript for six months because they're like, I don't know what to call it, you know? So I would think book titles would be very similar market for you or process. Um, I have done some on the book titles. You know, I think the hardest is always your own, whatever. And I took a long time to think of know the name, know the person, but I wanted it to say what it was about. And at the same time, you know, be concise, like men are from Mars and women are from Venus, that you get an idea from the title. So if you know the name, you know the person because you do know the personality. And so that took me a while. And normally I will ask a client to give me a week because in between everybody else, I'm working on theirs. And, you know, it kind of ruminates in the back of your head. And then once I come up with possible names, we have a meeting. And then I go over, I say, all of these names meet your conditions now. And the other thing I do is I go through and I say, and I'm looking for any underlying thing that would like, you could accidentally have a combo in there that says we're dishonest or that we're not good with money or that whatever. So I go through and I wipe out anything, any name that might have any of those subliminals in addition. And then I say, all of these meet your condition. And this is what added you get with this one. This is added what you get with this one. This is also in this one. But I first go by sound. I'll say, here's the names. If there's anything that doesn't sound good, let's wipe it out. And then I go through and explain what all those names also bring to the table in addition to what they told me. And then they settle on a name. I love it. Is there ever a consideration, and I don't know whether this has any impact on it at all, but with search engine optimization, we need to pick things that people recognize. There's more sort of recognition of that's a familiar way of expressing something, or this this is when I'm thinking of a particular topic, these are the things that I would be asking for. And often they don't have a title or a name. So you're sort of using descriptors, but I would think that there's maybe some that people are drawn to, or am I reading something wrong into it, that people might be drawn to without even realizing why they're drawn to particular names to, or names for things that they're actually searching for? There's certain things that we're all drawn to, like likability. You know, if something screams, I'm so likable, if I'm congenial. And if you know to place let's say the last letter in the word is an A or a Y, then that means that that's very likable. We're going to like that product or we're going to like that item. Okay. And then I think if you have a, sometimes for products, you have a name because you want it to get a particular idea across, but it doesn't say what it is. So then you have to have a subtitle that definitely says what it is. You know, so we work on both the names and the subtitles sometimes. It depends on what the client's asking for, because I look at it that my job is not to make any decision. My job is to say, here's what meets all of your needs. <laughs> so I'm curious yeah. when you said the A, is that the same with, with names? So for example, my daughter, she has three ending A's. She's Hannah Maria. 
Actually, no, four. Hannah Maria Susanna Vista. Does that so, does that make her very likable? I mean, she is a very likable person, Lisa. I think so as her mother. It says that she has made herself likable. She thinks it's important to be liked, so she's worked very hard at creating a likable personality. But if somebody doesn't like her, she's not going to change who she is to get liked because she's already done her work. That would be my girl. <laughs> you <laughs> you know? described her to a T. You know, where if it ends in a Y, they're like almost into it. What part of me are you going to like? And then they're only going to show you that part of them because they need to shift and change to make sure everybody likes them. Interesting. And so I'm curious because a lot of people, when they're children, they end their names differently and they modify that as they get older. So whether it's like, you know, they have an EY, like a Mikey that goes, ends up being a Mick when he gets older or, or someone like my sister who as a child, she spelled her, actually up until she was 45, she spelled her name with an I at the end and she changed it to EY. So how does so the Y means that I need to be light. It's like my Achilles heel. I need somebody else's approval. You know, I'm going to be a pleaser and I need approval from outside of me. And so we show and they morph and they, I always say they're a chameleon. They can get along with anybody they want to get along with because they'll make sure they adapt and they're the ones that are changing. Okay. Now, if you go from an I to a, to an EY, you're with an I, you're more centered on you. And with an EY, you're now really centered on others. So it makes a huge difference. And as far as you were saying for parents, how many parents change their kid's name to have a Y when they're a child? They're literally telling the child, you need to adapt and make you more likable so it's easier for me to love you. Wow. That's what they're saying to the kid when they add that Y. That's a good thing to remember for us parents out there. Mine are teenagers now. It's a little late for that, but (laughs) (laughs) fortunately they were pretty likable or I like them anyway. (laughs) But that is fascinating because it's certainly, I mean, I remember, maybe I think it seems like it was more common when we were kids. I know a lot of my peers that I've known since childhood, you know, I still call them by their name with the Y because that's the way I've known them from, but none of them use that anymore. Well, you get to a place, hopefully, with maturity that you don't need outside approval because you know how to approve of yourself and, and meet that need for yourself. Fascinating. And, you know, but if you don't, if you did it long enough where you need that outside approval, then that's one of the lessons for the lifetime. You know, why do I need other people approving me? Fascinating. Yeah, but we all have lessons. We all have lessons in our name. <laughs> I mean, that's just one. (laughs) Yeah. No, but that's so cool. That's so cool. I mean, I've always, as a kid, I was one of the only Heidi's and that was always so cool to me because I was one of the only Heidi's. And then I lived in Europe for 15 years and everybody said, it's such a common name. And they're all like, Heidi, Heidi, you know, this is a children's show. So everybody would sing the song to me and assume that I was German or Germanic. But actually, I've never met a Heidi that comes from those countries. They're all American. We all ski. We're all very (laughs) similar. So I get like, I've never met a Heidi I don't like. It's sort of this funny thing of with Heidi's. And and maybe that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody likes us, but we all like each other. (laughs) Well, you have so much in common, if you think about it. Because the first name says what ingredients you'd have, let's say, in your kitchen. Okay. And the middle name says the ingredients you can borrow from the neighbors if you ran out and you need something else. That's the middle name. And the last name would be the recipes you can use that could use those ingredients. So the last name is saying how I'm going to put these ingredients together and what I'm going to make out of it. And yet you're all starting with the same ingredients. 
So that's why it's really easy to like somebody else that has your same name. And around the world, people have uh, different cultures that they have special bonds, you know, like in Mexico or in Mali, Africa. If you've got the same name as somebody, oh man, we're brothers and sisters already. You know, I mean, you don't have to know anything about them and you're already trying to do something nice for them because they carry your name. And it's because you start with those same ingredients. And then what are you going to do with them? That's what the rest of the name says. That's interesting because, I mean, we spent many years living in Sweden as well. And there you celebrate your name day as well. As a lot of cultures do, they celebrate their name day as well as their birthday. And of course, you have a lot of families that everyone has. And of course, in Sweden, you have many middle names, but you celebrate each one of those. And usually they're tied to either a father or grandfather or some ancestor. So in most families, like in my husband's family, you know, on Eric, my father-in-law's birthday or name day, they all celebrated Eric. Eric's name's that because that was, they all have it at some point, somewhere in their name. <laughs> so, Well, in the Russian uh, society also, the father's first name is always a configuration with an, a different ending. So there's a specific ending that gets attached if you're a male, and there's a different ending that gets attached if you're a female, but that becomes your middle name. So you're carrying your father's name as your middle name. And with name days and everything, there's different naming ceremonies all around the world. Like in India, a lot of the Hindus follow the tradition that you don't name the child until the 12th day, because the first 11 days, they think you're very vulnerable to sickness, illness, whatever, and they want to make sure you're sticking around. So they're not going to give you a name until you get to that 12th day and they think you've got less vulnerability. And then in the Jewish religion, they don't name you normally until the eighth day if you're a male or sometime within the first two weeks if you're a female. And then they have a big bringing out ceremony and present, this is the name and this is our child. And so if you look at almost every culture around the entire world, Every culture, I mean, there's only a few I've heard of that don't have these naming ceremonies and they realize on some deep level how important a name is. And if you think that your name literally lays out your life plan and where your focus is year by year and who you really are and what your gifts are and what you came to learn, and you start thinking about all of a sudden names get the importance that our ancestors knew on some level was really important. Absolutely. I'm thinking about sort of the, well, so there's two different things. As you're talking, I'm thinking about a lot of the Native American cultures that they have some of the most beautiful names that are often assigned to more spiritual things, spirit animals and things like that. But one of the guys that I collaborated with on my book, we talked a lot about when we treat technology as it's a conscient being or sentient being, and that it improves our relationship with the technology when we treat it that way. And he was saying that he names all of his devices. To me, that's a little bit extreme, but you got to do what's comfortable for you. But I mean, we're often naming things like our cars or our boats or our houses. That's totally normal or, you know, acceptable culturally. But where does naming come in in terms of when you start naming things that you have interactions with that don't already have a name other than, you know, your iPhone, but giving your iPhone, your iPhone, a particular name, where does that come in? Or is that too far out of nameology? It isn't. It's what we expect and what we put on those different objects. And think about it when we name an animal that's a pet, 
that pet starts acting just like the qualities and the characteristics in that name. It's like we become our names. And there's a science out there called somatics. It's C-Y-M-A-T-I-C-S. And that science has literally shown that whatever you most identify with, your DNA literally changes and becomes the same vibration as what you're identifying with. And if Heidi, if I said, who are you? You know, if I just met you and I said, who are you? You would give me your full name as if that says it all. And it does, you know, once you know nameology science. So it's literally as if our cells are morphing to what we're identifying with, which is our name. And when there were still only seven religions on the planet, they all agreed. There's a great book out that says the 10 things all religions agree upon even today. But when there were still only seven, they all believed that the incoming soul impresses upon the one naming them what they want to be called. So they all believed at the beginning that we name ourselves. So no wonder we identify with it. Well, one of my favorite skiers is uh, Peekaboo Street, who got to choose her own name, (laughs) which I think is a pretty (laughs) darn cool name, especially if you're a ski racer. So I was wondering, actually, my question was more, if we are to name things that, that are in our care, that we interact with, things like technology... Are there any names that we should avoid? I have an article out on my website, uh, knowthename.com, that literally says what names are difficult names or problem names or whatever. And there's a list. So, and then I put down why. So if you don't want those things happening to your software or your computerware, then yes, you can avoid those names. Like one of the female names, and it's a beautiful name, but I would never name something Heather because they're confrontational and they can't make up the mind between the emotions and the mental. And we're going back and forth all the time. And then they need a lot of touch and affection. And, and I just look at it and I think, Oh, these people are needy. They need too much, you know, and do you want an instrument or a computer or whatnot that needs all this extra care and extra time and extra love to be fixed all the time? And I, Oh no, we don't need that. You know, so one of the names in the male category is the name Gordon because they self-sabotage. So do you want a machine or something that you're working with to tangle itself or get caught or not quite be programmed right or to have a glitch all the time? You know, and you think, ah, what is it about this? And it's literally we all have something that we're learning. So there really is no good name and no bad name. It's just that some are more difficult if we want our equipment to run smoothly than others. And they're just more challenging as people. But when I look at that, I think they're the ones that are our greatest teachers. When I was in the classroom, I used to say the kids that are the hardest to love are the ones that need the most love. And then challenge myself to love them more so that even though I was just teaching, they could feel okay, guys, I love you. So, you know, we're not going to do that. (laughs) You know, you got to get this because I really care. But it's the ones that are the hardest, but I don't want my equipment, which all has nice, pleasant names. I don't want my equipment to give me problems because I'm in a hurry and I need them efficient. Hmm. You know, so I give them nice, short names that are very efficient names like Anne. (laughs) So what about names like Siri and... I'm not going to say it because it'll set off the Amazon device that's sitting on my desk. But Okay, I'll, let me tell you about that name on that Amazon device that's sitting on your desk. <laughs> First of all, it's very likable because it ends in an A, which we've already talked about. Okay, but if you notice, it has a combination in it that says, I'm really good at my job. I have a lot of self-confidence. I can do anything. And it certainly can. 
Okay. And it says that it's a workhorse in the name and it certainly is. Okay. And it says though, it can also be lazy. Well, when you're not using it, it gets to be lazy, right? There's interesting combinations in that name. One is that because of the placement of where the X is, it says, we don't know whether you're going to mentally love us more or emotionally love us more. Okay. So we're going to be attaching to you in both capacities. So we literally have attachment in both mental and emotional worlds. Then it also says, and this is what I think is really key, is that it works out of illusion. There's a combination in there that says, I'm an illusion. You know, I'm not real. I am absolutely this illusion. But why would you believe in me? Because I'm not real. I have based my whole existence on a fallacy. Okay. Then if you look at the name too, it has an EX in there. And what do we want to do with our X's? You know, and what should we be doing with this piece of equipment? I mean, and there's a lot of people that feel that way, like, oh man, I don't ever want one of those. So there's a lot entangled in that name. And whoever named that device, subconsciously, consciously, whatever, really knew what they were doing because it is a very likable device that people get attached to both mentally and emotionally. And it's all based on illusion. It's not real. Mm. You know, I mean, it so lives up to its name. It certainly does. It's funny. We have several devices in the house that have it integrated in. And I've found that my kids who are Gen Z have actually gone around and unplugged them all because they're like, it's listening all the time. It is. And that's why I look at that EX in the middle going, do you want to have everything you're saying being recorded somewhere? Or do you want it out of your house like other exes? <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I was looking at that name just today because somebody had called and said, I need to know about this name. What does it say? And I just kind of laughed because I said, oh, look, it's all right there. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's very well named for what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So they must have used namology. Or subconsciously used namology. Or science. subconsciously. Interesting. So have you ever met a name you didn't like? Oh, yes. Yeah. But it's because, well, there's certain names that I personally, when you compare, you can compare two names and see how they'll get along or what's going to push each other's buttons. And so that's why it's so much fun when I'm getting to help somebody when they give me a name to compare with them, because I say, do you want to get along with them or not? Because here's the conflicts and this is what you need to do. And a lot of times it's such a simple change. It's like, don't use this vocabulary. It pushes their buttons. Say the same thing, but do it this way, you know? So, but there are certain names that I have not met anybody with that name, even though I've met many people with the same name that, that I've liked, Hmm. you know, I mean, I have some, but I think it's because when you compare that name with mine, you see this conflict. I was just going to say that. Is that sort of more of a personal thing rather than that particular name? Is it, is it a toxic name? Exactly. Exactly. And that's why I don't like to say them on air because I don't want everybody looking at them and saying, oh, you're a, mm," you know. (laughs) Fair enough. We certainly don't, especially those, you know, expectant mothers who are like set on, that's what I'm going to name my child. It's like, "Mm." yeah, exactly. And so, and if you think about it, if you think back, who gave you the most headaches and who gave you the most problems all the way through? And didn't every time you met one of those, they gave you a headache? you know, where they were a challenge. Everybody has their own set of names where they go, I just don't like people with this name. <laughs> it's so true. And, but I think most of us are completely unconscious of it. It's more like, oh, another one of those. But you don't really, oh, it's actually maybe actually tied to the name. 
Um, yeah. But maybe then, well, maybe then they just need to learn from you how to deal with that particular name. It's not necessarily that that name is bad for them. It's that name is very challenging. It pushes all their buttons. And I always think that, again, the ones that are the hardest to get along with are the ones that we learn the most from. Absolutely. You know, and that's why we have family. You know, I'm, I'm totally <laughs> saying that, but, but I love working with families, you know, and to see them be able to converse easier with each other and get along better with each other and, and to know why that one pushes your buttons or that one pushes your buttons and how simple it is to change those. And sometimes there's a little stinker that says, I don't want to change that. I like pushing their buttons, <laughs> you know, and then how do we get rid of that button? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's, so much sits in that name. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's interesting. I was just having a conversation yesterday with someone about the love languages and in a similar way, just sort of understanding your way of, you know, your, your own love language, but also how the people that you interact with, what their love languages are so that you can communicate better and sort of it recognize the- when they are expressing their love, but also how they're receiving what you're giving. Sits in the first vowel of the first name. That's what tells you the love language. Oh, wow. So like yours is an E, right? The first vowel, it's H-E-I, right? Yep. So you need touch. And when people are touching and affectionate with you, you understand that you're loved, right? Where Actually, no. No? Well, it's, it's usually in the first vowel of an E. Yeah. Well, maybe because okay. it's E-I. I don't know. But I, I'm actually way off the charts on quality time. Yeah. But it's the, what do I want to call it? It's the attention. Mm. So you're going to be touched with words, there's sweet words, or you're going to be touched physically. It's not just physical. You've got mm-hmm. four different planes. You've got a mental touch. You've got an emotional touch, right? You have a spiritual touch. You have a physical touch, yeah. but it's the touching and the time and the, and that they're paying attention, mm-hmm. you know, they're touching you somehow. Yeah. That's how it reads for an E. Okay. And so just to give you a contrast, cause each vowel is different. My first vowel is an A. To me, it's none of that. None of that says, I love you. Like it would say to you, I love you. To me is I've got this much of work to do. And if you're over here helping me with my work and taking your time to help me with most my work, like let's say I got to empty the dishwasher and I got to load the laundry and I got to whatever. And you're over here helping me get that done faster. Man, you love me because if not, you wouldn't be taking your time to do some of my chores. So you're okay? an acts of service. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally different. And all of us, according to our first vowel and our first name, interpret love differently. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so like, if I'm with an E person, I have to learn that they want to be touched mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, they need to be touched somehow by me so that they know I really care. So I have to learn that modality to show them love in a way they know how to receive love. Mm -hmm. Where if it's not an A person, and they're around me, they need to pitch in and help me get the work done. And that's how I look at, oh my God, this person loves me or they wouldn't be doing that. You know, I mean, it's how we receive or understand that we're loved. It's so different for the all six of the first vowels. Yeah. That's fascinating. And then of course, so I I know this is in your what if, so Swedish has three more vowels. Do you just count them as they are, but with the accents and that's the, it's the accent is what's different or because I would think that that gets particularly nowadays, because we have such a melting pot, such a mixture of different foreign names, people like to pick names that are extremely hard to pronounce and (laughs) but come from their native, you know, their great, great grandfather's country or whatever. How do you handle things like that? Well, I look at it as six main vowels. And then like I have an accent mark on my O in my Mm -hmm. name. 
Okay. So even though the O is not the first vowel, the minute you put a something on top of it, it now acts, instead of acting like a middle letter, which is what it is, which is a different interpretation, it now acts like an additional first vowel. So mm-hmm. the minute there's something else attached to it, it like moves up in status and importance. Interesting. And it's all in the what if chapter. <laughs> okay. Well, I can't wait to read it. So wait, we're getting close to the, uh, the end of our time here. And I want to make sure that folks can find you and your book and, and everything else. So how do they find you? And what are your plans for getting your stuff out there? Okay, so the easiest way to find me is on knowthename.com, which is the first half of both book titles, because I have two books out there. That's the easiest way, or to write, and it's nameology, spelled N-E-I-M-O-L-O-G-Y at gmail.com, or there's the contact page on Know the Name, or I have another website that's just 70 pages of information on names for all those people that kept saying, well, what if this and what if that? So I wrote a page and put it on Best Name Meanings, and there's a contact page on it. And so um, any of those ways is a good way. The best way is just to email me. It comes directly into staff and, and if they can answer it, great. And if not, they shoot it over to me. And you have a radio show that's coming out. It's been out a year and a half. It's okay. called Know the Name, Know the Genius in You. It's aired on a regular station out of Canada. It's aired on in 20 countries on regular stations and on the overseas military bases. It's exciting because I, I look at different professions. And we look at the person's name and we do a short, quick thing on the name. And then we see how they're using those qualities and characteristics in their own struggles and how they've overcome them. And then what they're offering the world and why we've all benefited from that person doing what they're doing. And then at the tail end, I literally point out what letters, what combinations, where did we get that? So if people have that in their name, they now have new ideas on how they can use that same ability in their name. Oh, honey, you need to syndicate that and make it a podcast. I would love to listen to that. <laughs> it goes into podcast. It's, oh, it does. The podcast name is KTN for Know the Name. And then it's my name that follows it. But Lynn is misspelled with an E on the end. <laughs> Gotta love it. Yeah. Uh, well, you know what? This has been such a treat and an honor to have you join me today on The Evolving Digital Self We didn't talk so much about technology, but what you're doing is such an amazing technology in itself that I just, I really enjoyed every little bit that you shared and you're really a gift to the world and the work that you're doing. So just want to say thank you. Do you have any last words of wisdom you'd like to share with our digital selfers? It's that, you know, technology can be our slave or we can be its master. And literally if we do what we need to do and have time on the technology and don't let it drive us, that's when it's working on our best behalf. And it really is a time saver. And so I am so grateful for all the technology that allows us to communicate just as we are now. Amen to that. And thank you again for joining us today. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, don't forget to subscribe if you enjoyed the show so you don't miss any of the great new episodes coming up soon. And uh, if you really liked our show, we would appreciate you taking some time to write us a review and share with your friends. Until next time, bye-bye for now. Thank you for joining us for The Evolving Digital Self. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app now so that you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, please give us a rating and a review and join the digital self-mastery movement to create more conscious use of technology by sharing it and telling your friends. Want to see where you fit on the digital self-spectrum and how it might be impacting your business and relationships? Get your free copy of Digital Self-Mastery today by clicking on the link in the show notes.